in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, it says this. Listen to this great promise. In him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Think about that. God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name. And then it goes on to say that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we are complete in him. Now, our salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away from it. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, and his bodily visible resurrection from the dead is totally sufficient for our salvation. When Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for us to be justified. Justification. That means that he has saved us from the penalty of our sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 2, listen to what it says. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But you go down to verse 8 of Romans 5. I'm saying that because that in Christ, the salvation that we have in him, we're justified. We're saved from the penalty of sin. Verse 8 and 9 of chapter 5, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, listen to this, having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justification, we are saved. That is the salvation that is ours in Christ, saved from the penalty of sin. But also our salvation includes sanctification, and that is we're being saved from the power of sin in our lives day by day. Justified, saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, being saved from the power of sin in our daily life. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31, it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. There it is. But of him are you in Christ Jesus who became for, uh, for us, now listen, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, listen, sanctification, and redemption. You know, salvation is past tense. We're saved from the penalty of sin, justification. Salvation is present tense. We're being saved from the power of sin. It is, ju- it is sanctification, that Jesus has broke the power of sin, and when he died on the cross, he crushed the old nature, and we have been delivered from the power of sin. We're being sanctified. I'm going to talk about that more in a moment, but it means that we're growing in Christ, that we're not remaining stagnant. We're not remaining the same. We're, we're justified. Glory to God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're justified, but praise the Lord, Christ lives in us. And day by day, he's saving us from the power of sin. And the power of sin has been broken, and we're free to live righteous and godly and holy lives. But then salvation involves glorification. Romans chapter 8, verses uh, 23 through 25, it speaks about the fact that we're being saved. We will be saved ultimately from the, uh, from the, pre- from the presence of sin. Uh, it says here, not only that we've also have been the benefits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, simply eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. But why does one still hope for what he does not see? Okay, justified. You're saved from the penalty of sin. That's salvation. Sanctified. You're being saved from the power of sin day by day. That's salvation. You be, one day when you go to be with the Lord, you'll be saved from the presence of sin. That is glorification. Saved, being saved, and will be saved. And we are absolutely complete in Jesus, and his salvation is sufficient. However, I want to talk to you about sanctification. That's growing in Christ. Not remaining a spiritual baby, but growing to full maturity as a full-grown, mature follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and following, listen to what Paul said to, that, to those Corinthians. He said, and I, brethren, this is chapter 3, verse 1, and I, brethren, cannot speak to you as unto spiritual people, but as unto babies in Christ. Listen, these people had been saved for a good while. But he said, you hadn't grown up. You're still acting like babies. He said, I couldn't speak to you as unto spiritual, but as unto babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. And until now, you've been unable to receive it. And even now you're not able, for you're still carnal. For where there's among you envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and walk as men? Paul said, you hadn't grown up. You're still a spiritual baby. And you know, babies have to be fed. They have to be cared for. They're not able to take care of themselves. He said, man, it's time that you grew up. I'm tired of having to deal with you as spiritual babies. In first, second Peter 2, 1 through 8, it really talks about this matter of growing up spiritually, of being sanctified. I want you to listen to what he says number of verses, but I want you to notice. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power, now get this, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything we need for life, everything we need for godliness has been given to us by Jesus Christ. All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and virtue. All right, listen to this. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Great and precious promises that through these you might be partakers of the divine nature. And of the very nature of Christ. Christ in us having escaped the corruption 
that is in the world through lust. Now he goes on. Listen to what he says. But also for this very reason, give diligence to add to your faith. Now, wait a minute. To add to your faith, virtue. And to add to your virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Now, then he says this word. For if these things are yours and abound, you will not be barren or unfruitful in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, so many people say, man, I'm saved. But man, they hadn't added to their faith virtue and to the virtue knowledge and on, on and on I could go. And really, basically, they're barren and unfruitful in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Salvation is awesome. Thank God for justification that you're saved from the penalty of sin. But praise God, we need to be being sanctified, set apart. We need to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, God didn't save us to stay where we were. He saved us so we would become mature, strong believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's the purpose of the church, to develop Mature spiritual believers. I mean, when we gather on Sunday morning to worship, when we get into life groups to have Bible study and fellowship, everything we do from Awanas to the women's ministry to the men's retreats, all these things, what are their purpose? It is to equip us, to help us to grow up, to be mature followers of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 15, it tells us very clearly what the purpose of the church is. I want you to listen to it. In verse 11, it says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. He said, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some pastors and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So these are God's fivefold ministry to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Well, what is the purpose of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? For the equipping of the saints. The whole purpose is that they may equip the saints to be what Jesus saved us to be. And it's so important that we go through that equipping process where God prepares us to be his body and his voice in an eating world. He says, look in in verse 13. Till we all come to the unity of the faith. That's what the purpose is. He's going to equip us till we become to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man or woman, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. And look at verse 14. I've seen this all my ministry, that we should no longer be children tossed true and fro about every wind of doctrine uh, and by the trickery of men, cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love. Listen to this. But grow up in all things unto him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Folks, listen. Listen. I don't know when you got justified. I don't know how long you've been a child of God. But I want to ask you something. Have you grown? And are you growing into spiritual maturity? Are you come to the fullness of the stature of Christ? Man, I would hate to think 
that we would go and stand before God and say, Lord, thank you for saving me. But then there was not a life of righteousness and godliness and holiness, a life where Christ was in control of our life and where we were fruitful. Man, it's wonderful to be justified. But my goodness, that's only the beginning. We're to be sanctified. We're to grow and grow and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose of this body is to help you to grow and to become mature believers and followers of Jesus. Well, now let me ask you a question. Uh, How do you grow spiritually? I'm going to mention four things, and I'm going to major on the last two. There are certain things that if you participate in and you do as an individual, it will help you to grow in Christ. You will not remain a spiritual baby. You'll no longer have to be drinking milk. You'll be able to eat solid food of the word of God. You know, here's the first thing. I believe that spiritual maturity and growth begins with a proper understanding of worship. You know, God is self-contained. There's nothing you could ever add to him. He is God. There's nothing where he is not everything. And for God to say that he desires anything is an unusual thing. But you know what? He said there was something he desired. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, he's talking about a worship. Uh, And it says, and it'll be on the screen, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father desires such to worship him. Now look here. He said, the time's going to come that we're going to worship God in spirit and in truth. And guess what? The Father desires that. What? He desires for us to worship him. And God is spirit, and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. Let me tell you, you know where all true worship begins? All true worship begins when you place your life on the altar and surrender yourself totally and completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, this idea that we get saved and that from then on we belong to ourselves and we run and direct our lives is totally false. When you and I got saved, the Bible says, you're not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. True worship begins when that song we used to sing, is your all on the altar of sacrifice laid, is your all under the Spirit's control. True worship begins when we surrender ourselves and place ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice through whom Jesus Christ can live. How can you worship God when you haven't surrendered to him? How can you worship him when you haven't really yielded to him? You do not want to be like they were over in uh, uh In Matthew 15, it talks about uh, how that people uh, uh, worship, but they really don't have their heart in it. They really don't have the heart in it. In Matthew 15, 
Uh, it's verses 8 and 9. Listen to what it says. It says, well, did the prophet say, it says, the people, this is what it says in verse 8. These people draw near to me with their mouth, okay, and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. But then he says something. Now get this. In vain they worship me. You know, you could come here every Sunday, and if your heart is elsewhere, and you just sing the songs with your lips, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart, their heart is far from me. He said, in vain they worship me. All true worship begins when you say, Lord, Jesus, you are Lord. And the greatest gift of worship I could ever give you is myself. As I die to myself and place myself on the altar and say, Jesus, I am yours to use as you will because I do not exist for myself. I exist for your glory and honor. You bought me, you paid for me, and you certainly don't deserve the leftovers of my life. You deserve to be Lord of my life. You know how you grow spiritually? It's when you worship God. And you worship God when you present your body a living sacrifice. You worship God when you yield yourself to God as one who is alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You worship when you sing to the Lord in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But listen, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs come from a heart that is surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's worship. Anything else is vain. And what a joy it is to surrender to the Lord Jesus. What a joy. You know where abundant life is? When you stop trying to control your life and you stop trying to do your own thing, abundant life is when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ and allow him to be in control of your life. Man, that's when you live. That's when you find how the joy and peace of Christ is sufficient. So one way you grow spiritually is to worship in spirit and in truth. But another way you grow is to love and to make the Word of God a vital, vital part of your life. You know, it says over in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, it talks about study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. In the verse before that, he says, From a child you've known the Holy Scriptures that have made you wise through faith in Jesus, to, to salvation, through faith in Jesus Christ. But then he says, I want you to get into the word of God and I want you to study, to show yourself approved, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing a, the word of truth. Man, the word of God is life to us. It is, li it is a living book. The psalmist understood it well when he said, thy, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist knew it well when he said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. You want to know the will of God? Read the word of God. You want to know how to pray? Read the word of God. You want to know how to overcome temptation? Read the word of God. I am telling you, you don't grow spiritually 
unless this is the most important book in your life. You just can't do it. So, hey, thank God we're justified through the blood of Jesus. The penalty of sin has been paid. But thank God. He didn't save us and walk off and leave us. He said, I want you to be sanctified. I want you to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I want you to grow to be a mature believer who can give an answer for the faith that you have to the people that are around you. Listen, I'm telling you, I preach in every kind of church there is. And you know, there, there are a few full-grown Christians, but there are a bunch of babies, I'm telling you. Man, they just got to feed them with the bottle. And if milk ain't just right and warm, they get all upset. And you know, babies just have to be peppered, you know. I need to move on. Well, anyway, if you want to grow, you worship God. Draw near to him with your whole heart. I love what Psalm 119.2 says. I have kept your testimonies and I am drawing to you with my whole heart. But I want to get on the two things I really want to talk to you about. Worship, you'll grow spiritually. The word of God will feed your soul and you'll become a strong man or a strong woman. You'll become a mature believer as the word of God just absolutely molds you and makes you and helps you to understand who you are in Christ. But you know the other two are what we're going to be doing the next uh, 12 days, and that's prayer and fasting. I want you to look at Matthew 6, verses 6 through 8. You're very familiar with this. Jesus is talking about prayer. And so he says in Matthew 6, 6 through 8, but when you pray, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have closed the door, pray to your Father in secret, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When you pray, do not be like the, uh, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they would be heard for their many words. You know, in some religions, they have just things they just recite over and over and over and over and over and over again. When people keep going through the same thing over and over again, they must think God is absent-minded. How many times you've got to tell him? He said, don't use vain repetitions. Let the Spirit of God lead you to pray what's in your heart to God. You know, let me tell you about prayer. First of all, if we know what we're praying is the will of God, we know God's going to answer us. Now, you've got to hear me. There's some things I know in the Bible that are the will of God. Absolutely clear. But there's some things that God told us to pray for and that we do pray for that sometimes it, you know, it's not exactly clear what the will of God is in that situation. You can take that when it comes to healing. We know God heals. There's no question about it. When people get sick, I don't pray, Lord, keep them sick and let them die. I don't pray that. Lord, you're our healer. And you told us to pray for the sick. And so I pray in Jesus' name, in faith believing, know that you can heal. And I ask you to heal them. But God, I want you to know, I'm asking you to do it. And as long until you tell me different, I'm going to keep praying for them to be healed. But I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes it's not God's will for people to be healed. You say, well, that bothers me. Well, why do you think people die? 
You don't die well. What we've got to do is be sensitive. And as long gives us, as long as the Lord gives us faith to believe and pray, we need to pray for people's healing and not give up and not be full of unbelief. But sometimes when we don't know the will of God, we just have to be surrendered to it. But when we know the will of God, then we can pray with confidence. Over in 1 John, it tells us in verses 14, uh, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, listen to what it says. And this is the confidence that we have in him. Okay, I want to know what the confidence. I've got confidence. i got confidence in him. Well, when? And this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. I realize that in the word of God, that this is his will. So if we know we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. We know that the petitions that we have asked of him, that we have the petitions we, we have, we've asked of him. In other words, if I know something is the will of God, and I pray that prayer in the will of God, then I not only know God has heard me, but I know that God is going to answer me. He said, if we know his will and we pray according to his will, we know he hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know he's going to answer. I believe it's God's will for people to be saved. So if God puts somebody on my heart. Now, I don't pick up the phone book and pray for everybody in the phone book. Wouldn't be wrong. But, you know, you usually pray for people God gives you a burden for. It's hard to pray without a burden. But I want to tell you one thing. The very fact that God has burdened you for that person the very fact that you're, they're on your heart, the very fact that you find yourself crying out to God for them, I want to tell you something. That's God just as well as saying they're going to get saved soon. You've you got to realize that it's God's will for people to be saved. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I know I'm perfectly in the will of God to pray for the salvation of someone. And, and as God burdens you for them, the greatest thing in this world, you, you can talk to them. You can encourage them. If they're on the wrong path, you can say, listen, I'm, I'm, I want to see you walking in the right path. But the main thing you can do is pray for God to save. You know what we want people to do? We want them to straighten up their life. And they can't straighten up their life till they get saved. Don't you know that? I got a lot of people I want to straighten up their life, but they ain't got a chance till they get saved. Just like you and I didn't. So if we know it's the will of God and we know we're praying in his will, we know that God hears us and answers us. So the Bible tells for us to pray. I love what it says in Psalm 37, 7. Listen to this. You know why we get discouraged in praying? And sometimes we don't pray like we should. Because God doesn't answer quickly. You know, we like instant, you know. Lord, would you please uh, give me, a, I know it's your will for me to work. And I know it's your will for me to have a job. Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to give me a job. Three days later, you hadn't got a job. And you said, well, I guess God didn't hear me. I mean, God doesn't care about me. Come on. Sometimes God says now. Sometimes God says later. But it doesn't matter. It says here. Rest in the Lord once you've prayed in his will and wait patiently for him. That means you keep on praying 
and thanking, not just praying, thanking God for the answer. You rest in him. And what you know it's God's will, you expect him to answer. But then in other cases, you rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. But in Mark 11, verses 20 through 24, there's a tremendous uh, passage there where Jesus talks about praying and believing. And uh, I'm just going to look, I can't find it. Then Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. He didn't say have faith in your feelings, have faith in your emotions, have faith in your circumstances, have faith in what you can see. He says, well, listen, have faith in God. For surely I say to you that whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart and believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. He says, now, you, you can pray to that mountain. And you can pray against it. And you know it's God's will. And you don't doubt in your heart. He said, I'm telling you, just keep steadfastly praying. You're going to receive. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you, uh, things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them. Believe that you receive them. And then and you will have them. So you keep praying and thanking God that the answer is on the way. You know how you grow spiritually? Worship. You know how you grow spiritually? Make the Bible the word of God, all that it should be food for your soul. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's a lamp to your feet. It's a light to your path. You hide it in your heart. The Bible will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from the Bible. But then, then prayer. Prayer. But we hear a good bit about that. But what about fasting? Well, in Matthew 6, Jesus said, verse 6 and 8, when you, when you pray. <laughs> but go over Matthew 6, verse 17, and it says, listen to what it says. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you not do appear to be fasting, but, your father who is in, 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 but to your father in the secret face, and your father who sees you in secretly and secret will answer you openly. He said, when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. And then he says, well, when you fast. Not if you fast, but when you fast. Anoint yourself with all. It's a secret thing between you and God. You know, Jesus, you know the first thing he did after he got baptized by John the Baptist? The Bible says he went into the desert. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says Jesus went into the desert. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Wait a minute, wait a minute. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Wow. You know what we were fishing to see? The greatest spiritual battle ever fought except the two by the battle on the cross and the battle in Gethsemane. He said he was led by the spirit into the wilderness after 40 days, after he had fasted 40 days and nights afterward, he was hungry. Okay. Going into the greatest battle other than Gethsemane and even the cross, Jesus knew that he was fixing to go into a head to head, hand to hand battle with the power of darkness, with the devil himself. 
So what did he do for 40 days? i tell you what he did. He prayed. i tell you what else he did. He fasted. And I'm telling you, when the devil got to Jesus, he didn't have a chance. I mean, he tempted him three times. Oh, he said Jesus was hungry. He said, if you're the son of God, command these stones be made to bread. It ain't no problem for Jesus to make bread out of anything. Satan said, but listen, you know, just if you're the son of God, you can make these stones. Jesus said, listen, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then he, so he tempted Jesus in his body. And then he took him up on the temple, of, the pinnacle of the temple. Man, that was high. And over in, in Psalms, it says, if you, if you are cast down, he will send his angels to catch you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That was a promise to Jesus. And the devil knows the Bible. He just takes it out of context. And he said to Jesus, listen, jump off the temple. I know what the Bible says. The angels will come and catch you before you hit the ground, and these people will know that you're the Son of God. Jesus answered the devil. He said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm not going to tempt God. It has no purpose for me to jump off the temple. He said, I'm not going to. So he just stuck another sword of the Spirit in the devil. And then the, the third one was, you know, Satan's the ruler of this created world. Not, not the created world. Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of darkness. He's the ruler of the, it's the evil world. And he took Jesus up on a mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, let me tell you something. You don't have to wait. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to die. Uh-uh. He said, if you'll just worship me, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. And Jesus knew that whoever you worship, you serve. He said, it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord our God, your God, and him only will you serve. Jesus fought one of the biggest battles ever fought in eternity. And he was praying, and he was fasting when he fought that battle. And he overcame the devil, and from that moment on, the devil's destiny was sealed for eternity. So Jesus fasted and Jesus prayed. You know, and the Bible teaches it. I want to show you something that really is the heart of this message. Turn to Matthew 17, verse 14, if, if you have your Bible. If not, it'll be on the screen. But I want to show you something. In Matthew 17, now this, this is going to help you because this gets right where you live. All right, in Matthew 17, Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John were there with him. Elijah and Moses showed up. They had a glorious mountaintop experience. Can you imagine Jesus, Peter, James, and John, Moses, and Elijah, and Jesus was transfigured in all of his heavenly glory like he's going to be when we get to heaven. He was transfigured before him. And, man, they fell like dead men. And Jesus went over and touched him and said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Well, after the Mount of Transfiguration, guess what? After the mountain, they had to go down in the valley. Guess what was going on in the valley? There was a boy, a man, a young boy, who suffered seizures. He would throw himself into the water, and he would throw himself into the fire. And so while Jesus and the Peter, James, and John were on the mountain, the disciples were trying to cast the demon out 
of this boy. His father had come to him and pled with him. Well, so we get over there in chapter 17. So I brought, the, the, the father said, Lord, have mercy on my son. This is verse 15. Have mercy on my son. He is epileptic or suffers seizures. And when he falls into the fire and often into the water, so I brought him to your disciples and they could not cure him. Now, now what did Jesus say? Well, they, they just don't know enough. That's not what he said. Then Jesus answered and said, O, fa- o faithless, O perverse generation. How, he said, where's your faith? How long? Shall I, uh, perse- uh, uh, how, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured that very hour. Now, then the disciples came to Jesus privately, saying, Why could we not do that? He came out of you when you did it, Jesus. What was our problem? Jesus said, Because of your unbelief. You looked, at it, you looked at the circumstances. You realized he threw himself into the fire, into the water. And you just kind of had a, well, I, we hope we can do this. He said it was because of your unbelief. Assuredly, I say to you, now I want you to get this. If you have the grace, grace, faith as a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here and to there, and it will move. Now, why is Jesus saying that? He said it back over in Mark when he was talking about praying and believing that if you speak to that mountain, have the faith that you can, it'll be cast in the sea. So he comes back again, says, you, you had unbelief. He said, but I'm going to tell you, you ain't got to have a lot of faith. But if you have faith like a mustard, you can speak to this mountain and it'll be cast to the, into, to the sea and move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, what that boy had, the only way it goes out is by prayer and fasting. Boy, God said to me, you know, we got mountains in our life. We all have mountains. And we pray and we pray. But the mountain never seems to move. Could it be that God is saying to us, that's not going to go out. That mountain's not going into sea until you pray and fast. He said, this kind doesn't go out. Let me tell you where we are right now. As we go into these days of prayer and fasting, we're praying for spiritual awakening in this country. Now, I want you to listen to me. No human being will be able to deliver this nation from the pit that it's in. I want the right man to be elected to be president. I want the right people to go into the House and the Senate but I'm telling you, our, gov- it, it, our government is broke. And even this election is a chaotic confusion. I've never seen anything like it. I, I mean, I, I know God takes it seriously. But sometimes I think he sits in the heavens and laughs. I'm going to tell you something. Until spiritual awakening comes to the church, this nation will never turn around. You can believe anything you want to believe. You can believe we get the right president and I want the right one. You believe the right Senate and the right house. We see we've had, we thought we had that. We ain't had nothing. Let me tell you one thing. And you, you might as well accept this and it's the only answer. 
The only answer for this nation is for the church of Jesus Christ to come alive in the power of the Holy Spirit, for there to be a spiritual awakening, and that will turn people's hearts back to God, and people will be saved, and the fear of God will be restored to this land, and that is the only way. That is the only way. And I'm going to tell you something. This kind goes out by by prayer and fasting. You know, I've never preached much on the book of Jonah. But uh, I got to thinking about Jonah, and uh, uh, Nineveh was a large city. It was an extremely wicked city, wicked. God told Jonah to go. He didn't even like the Ninevites. He didn't want to be near the Ninevites. So he went to Joppa. So God sent a big fish to swallow him. You spend three days in the belly of a fish, you go wherever God tells you to go. I tell you that right now. So he begged the Lord, and the Lord, this fish sent him out. Now God said, now go to Nineveh like I told you and tell them to repent. Okay? In Jonah chapter 3, I want you to listen to this. I want to show you about the power of God when spiritual awakening comes. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 4, And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, set in ashes, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, Taste anything, now let him eat or drink water. Let man, let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yet let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? So a wicked nation at the preaching and the warning from God repented in sackcloth and ashes prayer and fasting. Verse 10, when God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way and returned from the disaster, God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. A reluctant preacher went and spoke the word of God and a nation, a city of over 200,000 repented in sackcloth and ashes and turned to God And God relented, and Nineveh was not destroyed. Now, did you know there's a verse in the New Testament? And and, and this has always captured me. In in, um, Matthew 12, 41, I want you to listen to this now. Boy, it is a word for us today. So they repented at the, uh, prayed and fasted and repented at the, word of Jonah, but in Matthew 12, verse 41, it says here, then the men of Nineveh, men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Wow. They repented at the preaching and proclaiming of God's word from a reluctant prophet. But he said, they're going to rise up and they're going to judge us 
because we got Jesus. And all they had was Jonah. You know, you know why I know God can send great spiritual awakening? Because Jesus is here. A greater than Jonah is in our midst. And so, man, we got to pray. Oh, we got to pray. I'm not praying for God to save the wicked, ungodly lifestyle of America. I'm praying for God to turn America back to him. And let me tell you something. I got to say this to you. Some of you, you've got some mountains in your life. As we go into these 12 days of prayer and fasting, I got five mountains. I've already written them down. And I am going to fast and pray for those five mountains. They're personal mountains that are very, very precious to me. I don't know how many days I'll fast. I don't know. That's between me and God. I, 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 he hadn't told me yet. There are many ways. You just let God lead you. Don't you be under the burden. Don't you be under the law. You let the Holy Spirit lead. But I tell you, I'm gonna, every time, I'm, I'm going to pray against those mountains. And I say, Lord, I know these don't go out but by prayer and fasting. So, God, I'm expecting you to cast this mountain into the sea. And what I've been praying for, God, I am expecting change. I'm expecting to see a difference when these 12 days are over. Now, let me ask you a question. What mountains that are in your life, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, and you have prayed, but they're not cast into the sea? You say, well, Brother Fred, maybe I'm full of unbelief. Well, ask God to increase your faith. But no, have you fasted and prayed over them? Maybe those kind, those mountains don't get moved until you fast and pray. I, I'm, not, I'm just telling you what Jesus told the disciples. He, that's not going out. It, just praying. You've got, you got to hook prayer and fasting up together, and then you're going to see this, this boy delivered. So let me tell you something. That mountain that you so desperately want God to move. I want you to fast and pray and ask God to cast that mountain into the sea. And I want you to believe God. It may be for, for a, a marriage that is failing. It may be for a, a son or daughter that aren't walking with God. It may be for a grandchild. It may be, it may be uh, for a, a stronghold in your life where you just keep re repeatedly failing before it. I don't know what your mountain is, but God does. And up until this time, whether it be unbelief or you haven't put together prayer and fasting, that mountain has not budged at all. If anything, it may have gotten bigger, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe that if you'll pray and fast against that mountain, I believe in when they, these 12 days are over, there'll be testimony after testimony after testimony of mountains that have been moved by Almighty God. I hope I'll be able to stand here and say to you, of those five mountains, let me tell you some of them that God moved into the sea and that mountain has been moved by the power of God. So I'm just challenging you. Because Jesus did. He said, when you pray, he said, when you fast. And I encourage you to, to, to pray and fast for this nation. We have no hope. You know, you say, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm about finished. But what about your children? What about your grandchildren? 
What about a generation that's raised up in, in the devil's hell atmosphere of this country? My God, we can't leave them this. And the only one that can change it is God. And so I, I believe this is a time for us just to seek God in prayer and fasting for mountains that only God can move. And I promise you, I know he, what Jesus said, this kind will go out through prayer and fasting.